0: Forever is a long time. A long time to be wrong about the Savior, about eternity. But it's also a long time to be right. It's a long time that we can celebrate and enjoy God for all of eternity. I can't wait. Personally, I can't wait to go see and sit at Jesus' feet and enjoy Him. In fact, we were listening yesterday. We had some songs playing on our uh, YouTube, on our TV playing yesterday. And a couple of Carmen songs popped up there. And he was singing, um, I can't think of the name of the song that I was singing. Not Lazarus' song, but the one about Sunday's coming, similar to the video you saw at the very beginning. And uh, I just, it just dawned on me that Carmen, if you those who don't know, he, he passed away this past spring, and he's getting to enjoy his first Easter in heaven at the feet of Jesus, and how he must just be rejoicing and enjoying his time there. And it's just the first of many, many, many that are gonna come for all of eternity as, We get to join him and he gets to show us around. We're gonna meet those who went on before us and they're gonna show us around heaven and get to enjoy heaven and all that God's got prepared for us if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And that happens only as a result of committing your life to him. Today, our Easter sermon is called All or Nothing. All or Nothing. Are you willing to give all or nothing to Jesus? Wait, what do you think of when you think of something that's all or nothing? Maybe when you go to Costco or Sam's and you just want one little bag of chips. Can you just buy one little bag of chips? No, you gotta buy 42,000 bags of chips. If you want one battery or two batteries, no, you got to buy a pack of 200 batteries. Sometimes we need batteries for microphones and stuff up here and I will go and I feel like I'm walking out with a suitcase full of batteries when I go there. Maybe some of you are all or nothing people. You'd say, yes, I am an all or nothing person. But what does that really mean? when you say, I'm an all or nothing person. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I have the answer right here (laughs) in my hands. I went online. The internet is a wealth of information, a wealth of nonsense. And I found six signs that you might be an all or nothing person. So see if this fits you. Are sweets a big problem for you? In other words, do you either withhold yourself completely or do you give all into your sweet tooth and it's all devoured? Like pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. Do you hold off and say, please go first? Please, <laughs> others go first. Just a, a small dollop of whipped cream on top. Or do you take the whole thing whipped cream and, <clears throat> and you have a little pumpkin pie with a baked thing whipped cream? Which one are you, all or nothing? Maybe it's in love, right? When you met your spouse, was it love at first sight? And you just dove headfirst in to that person, you gave everything? Or did you immediately know that you were done and never looking back with, maybe not that, maybe, hopefully hopefully not your spouse, (laughs) but others that you dated prior to that? Did you go all in or did you push them off? How about exercising, right? A couple of you knew a few years back, I was doing CrossFit for a few months. Just a few months. That's why I'm retraining my body again um, for what it should look like. It's a, I hide behind these things. I, I wear dark clothes so it hides what I was blessed with over the past couple years. But and and working out. Are you the kind of person that goes from zero to sixty like that when you're working out? You pump an iron and you're the man. You're go for you jumping on the treadmill and you're going. You're jumping on the bike. Or are you the one that goes? I'm just gonna pace myself. Uh, Twelve. No, which one are you? Or maybe when you're going out on the town, right, going on a date, do you go out full glam with all the bling and all the stuff? Do you do your hair? Well, those of us that have hair, do you do your hair and your makeup and you make yourself look super presentable? Or are you the kind that goes out in sweatpants? (laughs) Sweatpants. All right, maybe not. My wife tells me, you do not go out with sweatpants. Yes, dear. Maybe it's Netflix or Hulu or whatever your media entertainment filling platform may be, Disney Plus, choosing. Are you the kind that finds a show and watches it all night long until 6 a.m.? I just can't stop, can't stop, can't stop, can't stop. Can't, and you binge it all night long? Or are you the kind that goes, there's just nothing here to watch at all. 14,000 movies available. There's nothing here at all to watch. Which one are you? Lastly, in your home, are you the person that you walk in, your people walk into your house and it's totally spotless, not a crumb on the floor. You people don't have kids. <laughs> Not a chrome on the floor, not a spa on the wall. Every paint spot has been redone. There's no places needing touch-ups of paint or of, uh, sheetrock or mud or anything. It's just, wow, it looks like the showroom, right? Or you're like, the rest of us. <laughs> there's a fork on the here, a knife over there. There's stuff on the floor there, all, yeah it's either spotless or it's cluttered so which are you are you an all or nothing person because you see as we look at this pastor saying we're going to be in first Corinthians chapter 15 we're obviously having issues with our projector this morning so I apologize for that but as we look in the scriptures this morning first Corinthians chapter 15 we're going to look at how Jesus is he gave us all he gave it all to us and this what he's asking for us is to give it all in return as well. See, this Christian life, this, this faith relationship that we're looking, that we're seeking after, it's it's not a, a pick and choose type of relationship like you go to a buffet. You either get everything and you give it all, or you don't give in. Because if you're just gonna try to pick and choose, in God's economy, that means nothing. You can't pick and choose what you like about Jesus. You can't pick and choose what you like about faith. You can't pick and choose why much you're going to give to God. It's all or nothing. Levi Lusco was a pastor from Montana. He said, Easter and Christianity and following Jesus is not for sale separately. You can't go buy that small bag of chips. It's not for individual sale. If it's not all true, None of it is true. So as we look at the scriptures this morning, we're going to look at Paul's writing to the Corinthian church in probably one of the most important passages in Scripture. As he is telling them, reminding them of what they believed in, he's reminding them of what the truth is, he's reminding them of what Jesus has done for them and how much he expects in return. So if you have your Bibles there with you, if you have your Bible app or your Bible, physical Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're gonna look at a few verses here. Read through this very first part here, verse three through seven. Paul is writing, he says, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. See, Paul is writing here, reminding the believers in Corinth This story of the gospel, the story of the resurrection of Christ is of first importance. It's critical to your faith. It's critical to your belief. It's not like taking out the trash where you can do it and forget it. Do it or not do it. And if you don't do it this week, well, I'll take out the trash. Next week, the truck will be back by again. This is critically important to your faith. It's critically important to your future. Critically important to what you believe in. It contains all the essentials of the gospel story, how he lived and died, that he was buried, so he he really died, right? He rose on the third day, and then he appeared to multiple, multiple, multiples of people over the course of the next 40 days. This story is not a kid's story, it's not just a book that we read to our kids or something we pick up with, this really happened. But a lot of people, they don't believe in that this happened. They believe that Jesus didn't really die. So let's, let's consider that for a moment. Maybe Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. What was the story all about then? Okay, if Jesus didn't really rise from the, from the dead, what is the story really about? Maybe. The resurrection was just written as an allegory, like Pilgrim's Progress, or some other allegory that you may read, right? Everything represents something else. Maybe Dr. Seuss's ancestor was testing out new material way in the past. But that doesn't answer the question, what about the people who actually saw him? What about the people actually he appeared to? It couldn't have just been an allegory. Couldn't have just been a story that people passed on. Well, maybe then, let's consider maybe Jesus didn't really die. Maybe he just passed out on the cross, went into a coma, they pulled him down. They thought he was really dead in spite of the spear being stuck in the side, in spite of the nails and the blood loss and everything else. Maybe he was so weak from the beatings. When you saw the video earlier, I believe that's probably pretty close to what he looked like. With the stripes and the beatings and his beard pulled out and all that he had to endure over The six hours he hung there on the cross, plus being all night long as he was enduring all the trials and stuff the night before. Maybe he just was too weak and couldn't handle it, and so he just passed out on the cross. And they took him down and put him in the tomb, and he was just in a coma. Was he just mostly dead, as Miracle Max likes to say? (laughs) Or was he really dead? If he was just in a coma and, and being in that cool tomb, the, the coolness of the tomb maybe revived him again, how could he in his blood loss condition, how could he in his weakened condition, one, wake up and move the stone. One, he's gotta get out of the barrel claws, right? He's tied up, he's in there, bound up pretty tightly. He's gotta get out of the barrel claws and move that stone, which weighs a lot. I now mean, we had a lot of concrete moved out here this past week. And Ryan was out there moving. He, was, he had had the concrete, and his little going from here to our dumpster, and here to the dumpster and moving just three yards of concrete. That was some heavy stuff. <laughs> I'm glad it was him and not me. <laughs> so Jesus is trying to move the stone. What does he find on the other side? Roman guards, trained soldiers who were ready to say, oh, I don't think so. You go back in there and you die. <laughs> Pointy end goes in the other man. And no, he didn't just die. He wasn't just in a coma. He was really dead. Maybe, I know, maybe the women went to the wrong tomb. You know how women are with the directions. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the women went to the wrong tomb. The mother of Jesus and all his followers didn't actually remember and know where he was buried two days earlier that they got lost on the way and they were walking through the cornfields and made a right instead of left and ended up in Albuquerque. Maybe they just did not go to the right tomb. And so as they're sitting there in the morning, they look into the tomb and it's empty. And just next door is the real tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Did they really? Was the squinting in the sun and the mascara running? Did that really keep them from finding the right tomb? And again, how was everyone fooled? You don't think that the Romans knew where their guards were supposed to be placed? The women are sitting here at the empty tomb, and the guards are right there. <laughs> you don't think the Pharisees knew where Jesus was read and buried? If they come out and go, Jesus rose, Jesus rose, all they got to do is go to the right tomb and go, Here he is, right here, here's his body and bring him out to the world? You don't think that would've been the first thing on their mind, the Pharisees and the Romans? And the angels, how did the angels get messed up? Angels appear to Mary and they go, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I mean, why, how do the angels end up at the own too? Or maybe there is no God. All these other hypotheses don't really have a carry any weight to him, so maybe you think, there is no God. The resurrection, it's scientifically impossible. Nobody raises themselves from the dead. It's not going to happen. I mean, We as humans have evolved beyond the need for God, right? We have Gotten so knowledgeable and intelligent, we can rewrite history now and make it correct. We can look in science and make, discover all the little DNA. We find the little tiniest molecules and little things in, in this world. We don't need a God anymore to explain the world around us. We're so modern and intelligent now. You know, this gets preached to us every single day from Darwin, through scientists, through educators those who want to set themselves up as a God over us, over us and over themselves. That's really the crux of it, isn't it? People do not want to be answerable to Holy God, to the one most high God, the one and only. We want to answer only to ourselves. We want to be answerable for, I want to be answerable to my own actions, to myself. I don't want anybody else telling me what to do if there is really a God and if this story is really true then my life really matters and what I do and what I believe and how I live really matters. Well, let's look at some of the implications and didn't believe if, if somebody were to really not really 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 not believe in God what are some of the implications of believing there is no God back in first Corinthians chapter 15, Paul kind of lays it out here for us as Christians. He says in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 13, he says, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be mis- misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, who he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Or if the dead are not raised, Then not even Christ has been raised. Now listen to this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ have perished. And if in in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all the people to be the most pitied. If Christ was not raised, our faith is futile. It is worthless. And we are still in our sins. Think about that for a minute. What does that mean? What does that really mean that if we are in our sins still? Implication number one is there's no hope. There is no hope. We speak words of hope to suffering people and it's just like empty. Somebody whose family member dies, and you go and you try to comfort them. Oh, it's okay. We know we know where they are. That's empty. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then all those words of comfort you can say to somebody, even if it's even if they're a believer or not, it's just empty words. There's just word soup. It's just words strung together that have no meaning whatsoever. Oh, I understand, I feel your pain. What does that really mean? If the resurrection is not true, you might as well just walk up and go, blah, 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 means the same thing. If Christ did not really raise the dead. See, our hope goes away as God goes away. Our hope goes away as God goes away. If there is no God and there is no resurrection of the dead, if Jesus is still in the tomb somewhere, buried somewhere in Israel, if his bones are still there and he is really, really, really dead and not raised from the dead, then our hope is gone as well. There is no hope. Secondly, their life has no meaning. Absolutely no meaning at all. Your job is meaningless. The money you accumulate in this life is meaningless. Your education is meaningless. It's kind of a downer, isn't it? (laughs) Our purpose for being here, for raising our kids to to be nice moral creatures and and, and citizens of society is meaningless and pointless. We all, our, our attitude ought to be from that point on I'm out to get just for me. I'm out for number one. Forget everybody else. I out to make sure that I am taken care of. Period. I mean, Solomon wrote a whole book on trying to explore whether there could be meaning in life without the existence of God. Right? The Book of Ecclesiastes. If you read through it, he's like, man, this is there's no point in this, no point in this, no point in this, no point in this. All of life is meaningless unless God is present. Unless there's a God in this world, in this universe, who loves us and created a way for us to have a relationship with him. Everything else is pointless. Leo Tolstoy, in a wrote War and Peace, that real thin book that teachers like to torture their students with. He said, My question, which at the age of fifty brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions. It was what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? He said, it can be expressed thus, if there is any meaning in my life and that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy, is there any meaning in my life that my inevitable death does not destroy? And the answer he came to is no. Without God, there is no ultimate meaning in this life. That's why in verse 32, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if if these things, are, if, if Jesus did not rise, then the very last part, he says, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Get all you can right now. Go out and enjoy this life. Leave church right now and go, if there's no other purpose in this life. You take care of you, your family, and those close to you. And you make sure that you are okay because the rest of this life is no point. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. See, that's really the point, because if there was no resurrection 2,000 years ago, there could be no point to anything in this life. We're all just dirt waiting to be returned to the earth. Our life has no purpose. Why not enjoy this world and get everything you can Thirdly, if there is no God, there is no you. There is no you. Think about that. Our identity. If we say, who is Regina? Or, who is David? Or Who is Mike? And you try to describe that person to somebody else around them. What are you describing? Their character, their identity, their personality. You're describing what that person is like. But if there is no God, there is no separation of identity and in this flesh. I am just a body. I am just a animal. I'm just a creature that's alive here. In fact, Christopher Hitchens, he was a modern atheist when he was getting treatment for cancer, they were, the doctors were trying to work with him and he, he said, uh, they said, well, your body's this, or your body's that, and this is gonna react.'" he says, no, I don't have a body. I am a body. He understood that the spirit, the soul and the body in and, and, and his atheistic mentality, we're all one. They're tied together. There is no separation. See, in Christ, we understand that this body is just temporary. It's just here temporarily. It's our spirit, our soul that will live on for forever. That will live on for eternity. That is what will go in, into heaven. And God's going to bring our body along later, but they are not one and the same. They are separate. So when we talk about entering into the presence of God, initially, it's my spirit that's going to be there. My spirit, my soul—that is who I am. That is my character. That is my personality. That is my. Those are my passions. They're all built up into there. My body will come. My body will be given to me again later. Bible talks about but initially my body goes on the ground it turns to dust or it gets cremated or whatever happens to it eaten by wild animals my body and my soul are separate Paul says absent from the body present with Christ absent from the body present with Christ I'm gonna sit at the feet of Jesus if there is no God there is no you we are just a blob of cells standing here with no purpose. Fourthly, lastly, without God, our deepest desires make absolutely no sense either. When you want something more in life, we ache for something that I shouldn't even care about, right? We're so obsessed with justice. That's not fair. That's not fair. That person is getting more than I. There's the the sense of justice thrown out the window. I determine my own sense of justice. In a world that's governed by natural selection, we shouldn't care about fair. Only the strong survive, right? That's what the world tells us. There is no God, there's only natural selection. Only the strong survive. So there is no fair. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed cruel and unjust, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? The universe seemed cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just or unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? A man feels wet when he falls into water, because a man is not a water animal. A fish doesn't feel wet. My argument against God collapsed, for the argument depended upon saying that the world was unjust. In other words, in order to understand that there is justice in this world, in order to understand that there's fairness in this world, we have to understand that there's a standard that's there that sets the standard for justice and fairness. Where does that standard come from? Where does that standard come from? It doesn't come from within us. I have to have already experienced justice. I have to have already experienced forgiveness. I have to have already experienced fairness in order to say, that's fair, that's not fair, that's just, that's not just. Looking at a crooked line and saying, oh, that's crooked because I've already experienced and witnessed a straight line. Only God gives us that. If we, we like to say, if there's a God, why does he allow suffering? But by saying this, we use something that doesn't exist and throw it in his face to prove that he does exist. Right? We say, God, how can there be suffering in this world? But people who say that don't want to admit that he exists and they're using something that he created to throw back and say that he didn't exist by using something he created. So really, they're validating. They're validating their own argument. If you argued against the wickedness in this world and appealed to it, you are actually arguing for the existence of God. Our deepest desires make no sense without God. So if we come to that point and we say, okay, those people who don't believe in God, what is the Bible's answer? What is the truth of Easter then? What is the, the answer to those things that God? The Bible lays out there. If we look at this Easter story, what does that tell us? Number one, hope has a name. Instead of there being no hope, hope has a name. And that name is Jesus. He is the name above all names. He is the name that in his name is spoken. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord one day. We will stand before almighty God and we will all confess believing and unbelieving, Christian and non-Christian alike, everyone will confess he is Lord. The question is, when do you confess it? Do you confess it now? Do you confess it in this life? Because once you have left this life, it is too late. There is no second chance. There is no second trip to the the buffet table. You only go one time, one life, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 years to make that decision, to say, God, I'm gonna follow you." And when you choose that, to follow him now, you're set for all eternity. (laughs) Hope has a name in Jesus. Not only does hope have a name, but that means that everything has meaning. When you don't believe in God, life has no meaning. But when you believe in God, when you trust in the resurrection, life all of a sudden has meaning. The deeds we do now for good or evil, they have a meaning. Our life has a meaning. Our, our very existence, our jobs have a meaning. Our education has a meaning. Raising our kids has a meaning. We all of a sudden have a purpose for what we do. We don't just go to work nine to five and get a paycheck and you go out to go fishing, go hunting, go, into, go to the mountains, go skiing, go do whatever. All of a sudden, now everything we do has a meaning. The efforts you put in have meaning. Thirdly, you will never not be you, right? Without God, you don't exist. But with God, you can never not be you. You are united. Your spirit and your body, you always exist. We talked about eternal life. Everybody's spirit will exist. Everybody's spirit will exist for all of eternity. The question is, where will your spirit exist? Will you exist in heaven with God, living with him and enjoying all that he's got in store for you, or will you exist in hell? Everybody's spirit will exist for all of eternity. Eternal life is given over here, eternal suffering and pain and damnation on the other side. But you will continue for all of eternity. Jesus is described as, and he described God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How could he describe them if that if they were not in existence even today? They were still alive in heaven with God. Lastly, if the resurrection is true, because of what Jesus has done, there's an answer to every ache that we've experienced. I don't mean physical body aches necessarily, but there's an answer for everything that has happened in our life. We were made for a person and a place, and that person is Jesus. The place is heaven. Until those two things are snapped into place, you will always feel like a jet ski with the kill switch pulled. You will always feel like something is missing. You try to rev and nothing happens. Until the two are united, you will always feel like something is missing. C.S. Lewis says heaven, once obtained, will work backwards to turn every agony into glory. Once you understand that by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that there's purpose and God's got a purpose for everything that's happened to us, good and bad, that every agony that we've experienced in life up to this point, once you receive Jesus, you look back and you see everything in our past, every agony, every pain, everything we've endured and just gotten through has a purpose and a plan in God's kingdom. He is the answer for every ache we've ever experienced. He is the answer for every bad thing that's ever going to happen to us in the future. God is working in us and through us to glorify himself, to raise up his name, to let the world find him through us. He is the desire of nations. Jesus is the desire of nations. Without him, there is no purpose. So my question for you today is, you want to give your life to Jesus? Are you ready today to give your life to Jesus? Not necessarily because he's a better option, okay? There's lots of options in the world. Don't give your life to Jesus because he's the best option at the time. You give your life to Jesus because the resurrection is true, because Jesus is alive, because our sins are forgiven, because God is real. You give your life to Jesus because the story and the message of the Bible is true. Not some falsehood, not some Dr. Seuss book you read to your kids, but it's true. But Pastor, you haven't, you haven't given me any reasons to for believing in the resurrection this morning. Let me go through a couple of those real quickly. A couple of reasons to believe in the resurrection, the story that we read this morning, and you saw witnessed on the video, and we heard some about from our worship team. Think about this the stories of the resurrection in the Gospels are not written in a way you would expect someone to make up that kind of story. They're written by multiple people explaining the same story in different fashions, and different ways from different perspectives. They're, they're there so we might have a full understanding, a complete understanding. They're not holding anything back, right? The, the women went to the tomb. Women were not considered credible witnesses at that time in history. You're picking on women again. No, I'm just telling you, historically, women were not, their testimony was not accepted in the court of law. Yet who were the first ones to go to the tomb and then come back? and tell the disciples who who is it was written about in scripture it's the women if they are considered credible witnesses to us and if they if, if they really wanted to leave that story, that part out that would have been easy the women's testimony was left out regularly in written text at that time multiple probably one of the most important things, and reasons why we can trust and understand that the resurrection is true is all the multiple, multiple, multiple witnesses where Jesus appeared after his resurrection, right? It says he, and back in, in verse five, and 537 five it says, he appeared to Cephas or Peter, and then to the 12, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom were still alive, so that means they, somebody could go and, and with the time of this writing, they could still go and talk to those people who had witnessed the resurrected Christ, Then they appear to James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. And we think about all the time, how'd you like to be the brother of Jesus, the sibling of Jesus? And Mary and Joseph, why can't you be more like your brother? (laughs) Why do you have to act up? Why can't you be more like Jesus? James, his brother, didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. And he became the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. And then it says, he appeared to all the apostles, multiple, multiple eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. He stood in the upper room and Thomas who was doubting. said, I don't believe Jesus really rose. And Jesus appears. He said, Thomas, come put your hand on my side. Come touch the holes in my hand and my feet. Do you believe now? And Thomas says, my Lord and my God, it's true. You are risen from the dead. Those disciples, when them went out, they spread throughout all of Jerusalem and Judea and to other parts of the world. And they took the message of the risen Christ with them and never went back on their story once. They carried the story of the resurrected Christ with them to their graves. The Watergate scandal back in the late 60s, early 70s, how long did it take those witnesses to turn on each other? Pretty quick. <laughs> Just took a couple few weeks and they're trying to save their own rear. Blaise Pascal said, I'm going to believe the witness who gets his throat slit for what he believes in. The disciples went to their graves proclaiming the risen they saw and witnessed something that totally, radically transformed their lives and the way they thought, the way they lived. And that something was the risen Christ in their midst, alive and well. The risen Jesus. The risen Savior. It is true. So when you choose to follow Jesus, you don't just choose to follow him because he's the best option out there. Like you choose an algebra one, algebra two, or geometry. Why you would choose geometry? I have no idea. But you choose him because he is alive, because the resurrection is true, and he is waiting for you in heaven. So how about you? How about you this morning? Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? Maybe you're watching online. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus this morning? You're sitting here this morning. And maybe it's the first time you've heard this story, and you're considering what God has done for you, how he forgave your sins, how he died for you on the cross. And you say, Pastor, I'm ready to give. I'm ready to give it up. I'm ready to receive Jesus. It's very simple. ABC A, you accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. You believe that He died for you. You believe that He is the Son of God and He died for you. Number three, you confess your sins before. Romans chapter 10, verse nine. It says, if you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's it. You believe and you confess. You believe and you confess. You believe and you confess. It's not hard. You don't have to wait till you're good enough. You can do it right now. But I'm, I'm gonna pray a quick prayer this morning. And if you desire to turn your heart to Jesus to become one of his followers, become one of his disciples, I want you to just repeat this prayer to yourself. Because today you can change everything. Just repeat after me this morning. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. And this morning, Jesus, I heard what the pastor said. And I want to become your follower. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you are God. I believe that you rose from the dead after three days. Forgive me of my sins. Take them away. Make me your child. I choose to follow you. Because you are alive and the story is true in Jesus name I pray amen if you prayed that prayer this morning whether here in person or online want you know that you are a child of God if you sincerely prayed that prayer this morning you are a child of God and you can trust that God is will welcome you into his kingdom when you die if your sins are forgiven And Karis is going to lead us in one final song here this morning in just a minute. We're going to sing all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I know it's not on the screen behind me. But as we sing this song, we sing it here a lot, so hopefully you know the words. As we sing this song this morning, let this be your prayer that you are surrendering yourself all that you are to God. If you want to pray with somebody this morning, I'll be up here. You can come pray. If you want to